Right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I want to welcome you here today. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, if you're new here, I just want to just give you a special welcome. Our heart as a church, we're all about Christ, all about the gospel. Um, it's our desire that you would know Christ as well, the beauty of Christ and all that he has done uh, for us. So welcome here this morning. Uh, I want to say a special congratulations to Matt and Joe Pilcher on the birth of Giselle Annabella this week. So let's give them a big clap. I'm not sure if Matt and Joe are here this morning. Um, but another, another wonderful child uh, into our spiritual family, uh, into their care and ours. And so we're just thrilled for Matt and Joe. I want to welcome Ben and Kat with Hannah Grace here this morning as well. Let's give them a big clap. And I'm not sure, if, not sure if Justin and Ali are here this morning or not. If they are, I'm not sure, but no, it doesn't seem like they are, but they recently had, had the birth of William as well. All right, well, there's a little bit of a running joke in, uh, between Mother's Day and Father's Day in the church that on Mother's Day, we're very gentle and we're full of high praise. And on Father's Day, uh, we're a little bit harsh. It, it sounds something like, what are you doing, man? Like, you know, smarten yourself up a little bit. Sometimes that's the way the sermon can sound on Father's Day. Um, but this morning, uh, I never wanna, have never really wanted to have that approach because fathers need a lot of encouragement, a lot of grace, and we need Christ to help us in the challenge of raising children and being a good father. And so this morning I arrived at a subject that everyone can relate to, and that is the past. Everyone has a past. And Father's Day uh, uniquely surfaces many things about the past. Uh, fathers can have regrets about the way they have fathered their children in the past. There can be pain that we all experience in, from our family of origin, from our upbringing as we think back. There can be loss that surfaces on a day like this. And we're also reminded at, in days like this of relationship strain. I'm not sure about you, but sometimes when we think about the past, we can play the if-only game. You ever played the if-only game? If only I didn't do that. If only I had been more... If only I could erase my past and I could start again. If only that didn't happen to me. Well, sometimes we might idolise the past if only things were like they used to be in the good old days. People tend to respond to the past in different extremes. Some people say that the past is nothing. The past is nothing. You just forget about it and you move on. Uh, and it's usually not that helpful because it often tends to mask deep hurts. And of course, there are things that we should learn about the past. So the past isn't nothing. But there's another extreme, and that is that the past is everything. The past is everything. And so this is where we are stuck in our shame and our regrets. I am who I am because of what I did or because of what happened to me. And this taints the present, our experience of the present, and it also taints our hope for the future. Now, there's a big problem that happens in this whole issue of the past, especially as believers, especially as Christians. And that is this, is that we tend to overthink all the details of our past and we underthink all the important details about who God is. We think big, big thoughts about our past and we bring it all up and we think very puny small thoughts 
about who God is. Now, what does that say about who or what is ruling our life? Often it means that it's the past that is ruling our life. This morning I want to ask this simple question, how can you put your past in its place? How can you put your past in its place? I want to do that by showing who God is. Four big attributes attributes of God's character to help you put your past in its place. I want to do that through four characters that we see in the Bible. The first is this, the first attribute of God. God is merciful. God is merciful. Now, mercy, by definition, is not being given what you deserve. Not being given what you deserve. And one of the great examples of mercy being given in the Bible is through the disciple of Jesus, Peter. You know this story well. Peter uh, was a a very prominent disciple of Jesus, and he was known particularly for making quite bold claims, bold claims of his commitment to Jesus, that he'll never leave Jesus, that he'll always stay with Jesus, that he would never deny Jesus. But you know the story. If you know the story of Peter, you know that Peter has an epic fail. On the night before Jesus was, uh, was crucified, when he's standing before the Jews on trial, Peter is outside and a number of times he's identified as being somebody who was with Jesus. And on each occasion, three times, Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus at all. Uh, For three years he had walked with Jesus. Jesus had revealed himself to him. He had said amazingly bold statements about his faithfulness to Jesus. And yet in that moment of testing, Peter had an epic fail. Everything that he said that he wouldn't do, he did. I wonder if you can relate to that. Everything that you said or thought that you would never do, you ended up doing. That's Peter. And so Peter goes back after Jesus' death, goes back to his old life to live with his huge mistake. But after the resurrection, one thing we read about in Luke is that Jesus comes out of the grave and one of the first people on Jesus' mind was Peter. To go and find Peter. And Jesus does not condemn him. In fact, he goes to meet him on the beach. Peter sees this man from a distance. He dives in with his clothes on and swims to the beach and he sees the Lord Jesus there standing before him. And Jesus does not condemn him. Three times he asks Peter, do you love me? One for every time that Peter had denied him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter didn't get what he deserved. Jesus gave him the opportunity to be restored. I want to tell you this this morning, that sin, falling short of God, missing the mark of God, going away in rebellion, is detestable to God. The reason is, is because of another attribute of God. God is holy. God is just. He cannot allow injustice to reign. But you know, the beautiful thing about what Jesus did between Peter's denial and Peter's restoration was that he went to the cross. He died on the cross in our place and he rose again. This act holds back the judgment of God. By his mercy, it holds back the judgment of God. In Christ, we do not receive what we deserve. This is because Of God's mercy. Jesus took the judgment upon himself. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 explains this. But God, being rich in what? Mercy. 
rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. He has made us alive together with Christ. Because of God's mercy, we now have a new opportunity, a new opportunity in life, a second chance. Because of God's mercy, every day that you live and that you breathe, you are not receiving what you deserve, which is eternal punishment. Every day that you are not treated according to your past deeds, you are not treated that way. You are instead marked according to his mercy. You are not treated according to your past failings. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're in a secure relationship with God and Lamentations 3 says that his mercies are new every morning. God is just... And he's righteous, he has righteous wrath upon our sin and that is good and right, but because of Jesus, it is held back. How does this help you put your past in its place? Well, Romans 5 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's wrath will come down, will not come down on those who have trusted in Jesus because the righteousness of Jesus is our defence The perfect record, the righteousness of Jesus is our defence before God's wrath. God has done all the work that's necessary on the cross for us to be made right with him. And so God's mercy gives us this new opportunity to be in God's presence, not as sinners, not as people who are spiritually dead, but as now people who are spiritually alive and are now worshippers. Romans 12 verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is your new opportunity. You're alive together with Christ. You are now a worshiper of God through him. Second thing, God is gracious. God is gracious. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And so if mercy is God God withholding his wrath from us, God's grace is him giving us an undeserved gift. And so mercy is like saying you don't have to pay your credit card debt anymore. That's that's mercy. But the grace of God is is him topping up your account with a million dollars. It's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. An example of this in the Bible is when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. You probably know this story well, but there's this young man who is disgruntled in his home. He has a wonderful home, a wonderful father, and all kinds of opportunity as a son, but he's disgruntled and he wants his inheritance early. And so he leaves his father He takes the inheritance for himself and he goes out into the world and he spends the inheritance out in the world, partying and living for himself. But, of course, the money runs out. And all of a sudden, this son finds himself all alone in a pig's pen eating with the pigs. And in that moment, in the lowest moment of his life, he makes a decision. He decides that he's going to go back home. And he's going to plead his father's mercy, just a servant will do. He can't go back with the same rights that he had before. He'd just go back and plead his mercy, mercy, just be a servant. 
But as the story goes, the prodigal son is walking back on the road. The father comes out and sees his son coming. He sees him. And he doesn't just stand there with his arms crossed. No, the father starts to run toward his son. And he rejoices that his son has come home. And he brings out a robe and puts it on his shoulder. And he brings out a ring and puts it on his finger. And the fattened calf is killed because there is going to be a feast because his son has come home. Now, if you know the story, the prodigal son has an older brother and he does not like it. The older brother does not like it. He cannot stand the gifts that have been given to his brother. Why? Because he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. But you see, that's what grace is. It's being given what you do not deserve. Out of his love, he pours out favour on the unworthy. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. Now, Jesus Christ, there are many graces that we have, many gifts that God has given to the unworthy, but Jesus Christ is the greatest of them all. He is a gift of grace. We do not deserve him, but God gave him. God gave him to us. Whoever believes in him has new life in him, and that is a gift. But you know, there's more here because God's grace, in God's grace, you have a new capacity. You have a new capacity. God is gracious, and now we have new power. You see, God's grace is not just a one-time thing that forgives you of your sin and makes you right with God and gives you eternal life. God's grace is flowing to you every single day and there is future grace for tomorrow and the day after that is waiting for us. We're walking into God's grace every day. And so the whole Christian life is actually lived not by works, not by good deeds done by us, but by grace, by the gift of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8, God's supply of grace is sufficient to help us abound in every good work. You see that? God's supply of grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's all that we need to abound in every good work. And so God's grace that is given to us every day, it, it strengthens us for something that really holds us back in our past. It's with our past, something that really has a hold over, over us and power over us. You see, God's grace empowers us to forgive people that have hurt us. His grace is sufficient to help us to abound in forgiveness. I don't know how many of you struggle with the past because of painful things that people have done to you. And one of the things that locks you up and makes you struggle so much with the past is the struggle that it is to forgive. But God's supply of grace is sufficient to help you to forgive. Uh, once Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? I mean, that's a lot of times, Peter thinks in his mind. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, not seven, but 70 times seven. Keep on forgiving. Be abundant in forgiveness. Jesus goes on to tell this parable about a king. The servant owed him 10,000 talents, but he couldn't pay it. He didn't have the means to pay it. And the king, out of his mercy and his grace, decides to forgive the debt, cancel the debt so that it's no longer held against him. 
And he sends him on his way. But you know the story, the servant goes away and he has a servant. And the servant owes him just a hundred denarii. And he's angry with the servant. Why won't you pay me back? And he couldn't pay him back. And so he has him thrown in prison. The king finds out about it and thinks, man, I forgave you. And yet you could not forgive others. See, only people who know how much they have been forgiven by God can forgive others too. We hold on to grudges and offences, not realising how much God in Jesus Christ has removed those offences. In Christ, God has given us this free gift of forgiveness. He's cancelled our debt at great cost to himself. And we now have that supply of grace so that we can abound in that good work of forgiveness. We can offer it as a free gift to others, no strings attached. We cancel their debt against us. We absorb the cost of their wrongdoing upon ourselves just as Jesus absorbed the cost of our wrongdoing on him on the cross. Now, it won't always mean that life between you and your relationships becomes like what it was. Sometimes the nature of relationships will change. But I want to ask you this this morning. Are you, by God's grace, abounding in forgiveness? Abounding in forgiveness. Not letting it just drip like a tap, but letting it flood from your life. Forgiveness, which the lack of binds us up in the past, leaves old wounds open, very painful. Forgiveness, the free gift of offering, of giving forgiveness is you making a promise saying, I'll no longer hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to bring it up over and over again. And this is a single event where you make a decision that you're going to forgive, you're going to cover the sin, but it's also a process where you ask God to help you to maintain that spirit of forgiveness in your heart. To maintain it, it's between you and God. God, I can't do this on my own, but your supply of grace can help me to abound in every good work. And so, Lord, help me each day to stay in that place of forgiveness. Perhaps you need to put your past in its place today by offering the gift of grace, of forgiveness. So God is merciful. You have a new opportunity as a worshipper, not a sinner. You have, God is gracious. You have a new capacity now, a power that's at work in you. Thirdly, God is faithful. God is faithful. Faithful means loyal and true. Loyal and true. An example of this in the Bible, a great example in the book of Ruth. You meet this woman named Naomi and your heart goes out to Naomi because she's in this dark time in Israel's history. There's famine all over the land and a woman at this time was very vulnerable if she didn't have a husband or some sons or men in her life to provide for her. And so uh, we see right at the beginning of the book of Ruth, her husband and her two sons, both of them die. There's no one to look after Naomi and she is in a place of deep anguish. In fact, she She changes her name. She's like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And Naomi, it seems, as you meet her, she's largely innocent of her circumstances. These are things that have happened to her. Yet she has decided to let these things that have happened to her dictate everything about her future. 
She's decided to let that rule, that past rule her life. And so she says, call me bitter. And so she tells her two daughters-in-law to leave. Don't stay with me, leave, go away. She's given up on Israel's God. He's just like all the other gods who promise but don't deliver. But then there's this famous response of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth says this to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For you, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Now, Ruth here is a picture of loyalty. She's a picture of faithfulness. She will not leave her mother-in-law. Ruth shows us this picture of God who is faithful to all of his promises. He is loyal and he is true. Now, as you read through the book of Ruth, you come to the end of the story and Ruth is redeemed by a man named Boaz. And because Boaz takes Ruth as her husband to care for her, Naomi, who is attached to Ruth, is also taken care of. And God proves his faithfulness to her through the birth of a son to Ruth and Boaz. And, and the amazing thing, as you understand this story, is that Ruth and Boaz's child is in the line of Jesus Christ, the great redeemer. You see, God is faithful to his promises. Naomi's story tells us that God's promises remain whether or not we have the strength to believe them or not. God is faithful. He always delivers on his promises. And I think this part of God's character is always very precious to people. People often talk about God's faithfulness. Why do you think that is? I think the reason is, is because we're so used to people not being faithful. We're so used to disloyalty. We see it in ourselves and we see it in other people. People not being true and not being loyal. But the book of Hebrews describes Jesus as one who sticks closer than a brother. He is faithful. He can be trusted. Now, what this means is that because God is faithful, we have a new confidence. If you know that you serve a God who is faithful to you, if you serve a saviour who sticks closer than a brother, you have a new outlook, a new confidence in life. You can trust him. All the things in the past, all the things in the present, and all the things of the future, God will not change. He will be faithful to you. So we need to practice remembrance, to recount, to think back through our past through a different lens, to see all the ways that God has been faithful to me. Through all my pain, God has been faithful to me. Through all the ways that people have hurt me, God has been faithful to me. Lastly, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I've left this till last. The first three things, God is merciful, he's gracious, he's faithful. These are all things that by God's grace you can also become. In his strength you can become more merciful, more gracious and more faithful. But one thing that you cannot become is sovereign. Because God's sovereignty is his rule and his reign, his kingship over the earth. God's sovereignty is really his godness. It's what makes him God. He's powerful over all things. He knows all things. He's power over all things. He's present everywhere. He knows the beginning from the end. Psalm 90 says this, before the mountains were brought forth or you ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, 
You are God. Now, an example of someone in the Bible that was able to see and appreciate God's sovereignty was Joseph. You come to this great section at the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50, and you read there's so much given to it because it's such a beautiful, incredible story of God's sovereign hand in all things. Joseph is this one of 12 brothers who's sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. They hate him. They can't stand him. So he's thrown into a pit. Traders come along. They think, let's get rid of Joseph. They sell him to them. Joseph goes off and he ends up in Egypt. And he actually you know, makes his way in Egypt and earns favour with Pharaoh there. But then he's put in jail because he's falsely accused by a temptress, by a woman who tries to accuse him of assaulting her. And so he stays in jail for years. And while he's there in jail, he, he helps two of his friends get out of jail. He does this amazing thing and helps them, but then they get out of jail and they forget about him. They don't go and plead his case before the king. So what absolute despair Joseph must have experienced. What was this all for? Why has this happened to me? Why have I gone through all this? Perhaps you feel like that as you think back over your story. Why has this happened to me? Well, at the end of the story, Joseph is prime minister in Egypt in a time, again, of great famine. And his brothers who sold him into slavery, they've now come to Egypt and they're in need and they're looking for food. And I want you to listen to how Joseph interprets all that happened to him, to them. He says to them, I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, Joseph knows who has ultimately been in charge of his life, who has been sovereign over it all. Later, he summarises it by saying this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, because God is sovereign, you have a new perspective on life, a new perspective. You can place your past under God's sovereign care, trusting that he works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Knowing that God is sovereign, that he's in charge, it frees you. It frees you to live each day without fear, knowing that everything that happens has been allowed by a good and loving and merciful and faithful God. Everything that God allows is working towards his purposes to make you more like Jesus, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Even the hard times that some have meant for evil toward you, God can turn it out for good. Amen? God can turn this out for good because God is sovereign. You have a new perspective on life. Well, as we close, I want to finish with a famous verse that's often quoted when talking about the past. And it comes from Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says this, and you'll be very familiar with this. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, often this is used by some 
as an encouragement to say, you know what, the past doesn't matter. Forget about the past. Move on to what's next. Move on to, uh, to, to what's ahead. But you know, you can read something like that, something sentimental like that on Facebook every day. Just forget about the past and think about the future. But you know, there's something that's very important that we miss if we think that Paul simply meant something sentimental like that. Because just before saying this, Paul has been listing all the ways that he used to trust in himself and his own performance and his own track record in order to be right with God. All the Jewish practices that he excelled in more than any other Jew. His confidence in life had been in his past, in his past track record. And so once Paul realised that nothing good or bad in your past can ever make you right with God, this is what he concluded. But one thing I do, forgetting all that, all the things that I used to rely on, all the ways that I used to trust in myself, I now move forward on the basis of God's calling in Christ Jesus, his righteousness. In other words, I'm not trusting in my past, good or bad, anymore. I'm trusting in Jesus' work in the past, which is enough for today and it's enough for the future. I'm listening to his call on my life, which is upward and onward to eternity by his mercy and his grace, trusting that he's faithful to his promises, which is according to God's good and sovereign plan. I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling with if onlys? If only I had been more. If only I didn't do that. If only this hadn't happened to me. Perhaps you are in the wrestle with shame and regret. You're trying to make sense of what happened to you or you're stuck in unforgiveness. I don't want to make light of that this morning. I know our hearts can be stubborn. I know our hearts take time to actually believe and know this truth. But here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Don't overthink all the details of your past without going into the details of who God is. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is faithful and God is sovereign. So I want to encourage you this morning to put your past in its place, into the hands of a loving father like that. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Pray this morning that you might receive this verse. It strengthened me recently. From Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Father God, would you teach us to depend on you, a good and loving Father, to put our past where it belongs, in the hands of a loving God. We thank you, God, that you're merciful, that you haven't give us, given us what we deserve, that you're gracious, that you've given us incredible gifts and riches in Christ, that you're faithful to your promises, that we know you're faithful, you're trustworthy, you're loyal and true, and that you're sovereign and this helps us to reinterpret everything 
through your sovereign care. Lord, I pray that we might know this deeply, that we might know it each day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close. We worship him.